receive communion next week, I'm going to offer a brief message um, called, Have You Got a Bone to Pick? And those of you who know some of what Scripture teaches with regard to the sacrament of communion may think you know what I'm going to talk about, but you'll be wrong, just telling you. Um, <clears throat> the following week after that, um, I'm going to start a new series. As I've indicated to you repeatedly over the last six to eight months, the division in our country continues to grieve me, as I'm sure it grieves most all of you, uh, concern me, whatever word you want to use to describe it. But personally, as I've been reading, I keep being drawn to the one another passages. And so I'm going to start a series the first week in February uh, called Wishing and a Hoping. And uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about some thoughts uh, on the one another's of Scripture. Uh, and for those of you who have not heard, on the first Sunday in February, uh, at this point in time, it is our plan to resume separate children's classes down the hall. So just giving you a heads up with regard to that. Um, so anyway, but today is the final message in a series we started on the first Sunday of the new year called Measuring What Matters. And because it's the last of a four-part series, I'm going to do a quick recap just like I did last week and the week before. Uh, the first week we talked about confusion, illusion, and delusion. And the emphasis there was if we're measuring the wrong things, we don't have an accurate perception of how things really are. So rather than uh, buying into confusion, illusion, and delusion, I encourage us when it comes to our spiritual lives to think and look for ways to make a realistic assessment of where things are at spiritually and where we're at spiritually. One of those measurements that matters, not the only one, but one of those measurements that matters, I emphasize and I spoke to in terms of real, sustained, ongoing life change. In other words, am I different because I'm seeking to follow Christ. And is there a way of measuring and determining that? And is it continual? Now, most of us will have seasons where there's more rapid growth, and sometimes we may level off. Sometimes we may lose ground a little bit. But the goal is to realistically understand where we're at, have an accurate perception, and take some steps to keep moving forward. The next week, I ask the question, am I, I encourage you to ask the question, am I a disciple? And I'm going to unpack that in just a moment, but just this week, I came across a quote on this subject that ties into this question, but it also speaks to what I'm going to talk about in just a little bit for this week's message. <clears throat> a man by the name of Alan Hirsch, I would not read him before, some of you may know him, but he wrote this. He said, you can create a stronger movement with 12 disciples than you can with 1,200 consumers. And I hope, hmm, there's some, there's some meat on that bone to chew on. Um, but again, just thought, uh, I used the definition a couple weeks ago. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus' kingdom mission. And again, we could just keep unpacking that and unpacking it. But, but following Jesus is awesome. But if I'm following him and nothing's changing, then something's wrong with the following process. So following Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we're being changed by him. And as we follow him and are changed by him, we become committed to his kingdom mission. It's not just about following him so that I feel better about things or that I've got a ticket to heaven. It's a matter of I'm following him, I'm being changed by him so that I can partner with him in his kingdom mission. That's a disciple. Another person defined it this way. A disciple is an intentional learner from Jesus. Now, again, those follow-up questions are crucial. It's, it's awesome to learn from Jesus, but what do we do with it? So the question is, what is Jesus saying as I learn from Jesus? Just pause. Am I talking fast enough? 
I, I realized I was kind of, yeah, what Ruin wants me to speed up. He must have lunch cooking. But anyway, um, but what is Jesus saying and what am I doing in response? If I hear a message, what is Jesus saying? Not the speaker, what is Jesus saying to me and what am I doing in response? I'm reading scripture, what is Jesus saying and what am I doing in response? I'm worshiping in song, what is Jesus saying, what am I doing in response? A disciple is an intentional learner from Jesus who hears from him, but then takes action in response to that. One of the things I've emphasized repeatedly in the previous three messages is historically some of us, myself included, tend to view discipleship as a destination. You know, you do enough study, you jump through enough hoops, you hang in with it long enough, and eventually you become a disciple. Uh, you, you've arrived, if you will. Not, not that you don't stop, that you stop learning, but, but a destination. But I've come to be impressed by some of the readings on the study I've been doing that maybe we'd be better served if we viewed discipleship as a direction. Am I moving toward the, the person of Christ, the mission of Christ? Am I continually becoming or coming closer and closer and closer to him? The beauty of that is I'll never arrive. The beauty of that is wherever I'm at in the process, as long as I'm moving forward, we're good. I shared the illustration from John chapter 6 where, where for some disciples, when, when the going got tough, they said, eh, we're going to go in the other direction. Um, that's not a good way to go. So, again, uh, focusing on direction over destination. <clears throat> and then last week, I talked about rivers, reservoirs, and sponges. And again... Part of my emphasis there, you know, we think about sponges as, as a disciple, as a sponge. I tend to soak in, soak in, soak in, and, and over time, some of it may ooze out. Reservoir as a disciple, I tend to store up, store up, store up, and then strategically, intentionally at times, I may release a little bit. And then rivers, as a disciple, as stuff flows into me as a disciple, I'm continuing to flow into Christ and closer to Christ, but I'm also flowing into the lives of others. And so the question there was, no longer, we move from am I a disciple to am I making disciples? Am I making disciples? If I am a disciple, Scripture suggests that I also need to be conscious of my calling to make disciples. And today we're going to talk a little bit about it's all about the math. Now, if you were here for the first message and I talked about all the different things we measure at church, much of the time what we're measuring matters, but there may be measurements that matter more. And so we're kind of going to look at that a little bit today as we consider uh, the math when it comes to making disciples, being a disciple, and measuring what matters. So I'm going to go back to kind of where we left off last week. When you talk about discipleship, many teachers often will end up somewhere along the line in the conversation with Matthew chapter 28. Um, and again, I read it last week. We're going to read it again. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. This is kind of Jesus sending them, literally, on mission. Verse 17, that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in other words, I've got something that I'm prepared to give to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What I emphasized last week was what he didn't say. He didn't say if you want to. He just said, go make disciples. He didn't say if you have the gift of teaching. He just said, go make disciples. He didn't say when you've got it all figured out. No. Remember verse 17. These are the 11. The resurrected Jesus stands up in front of them and tells them what to do and what? Some of them doubted. They didn't have it figured out yet. But Jesus said, join me on mission. Well, when you've completed your seminary degree, when you followed me for decades, he didn't say any of that. He said, go make disciples. So what he did say is, therefore, go and make disciples. Then he unpacked for them some of what that might look like. Establishing them in their faith, baptizing them, establishing them in their faith, and then teaching them to obey what he had to say, helping them to grow in their understanding and application. So again, as we talk about measuring what matters, it comes back to me to that question of, am I a disciple? Am I making disciples? And today, we're going to take that to the next step. Um, As I think about It's all about the math as disciples of Christ. And I'm not talking about attendance and I'm not talking about giving. Can I just put that out there right now? Which, again, in my world, that's almost blasphemy, okay? I was hoping that was funnier, but anyway. Um, (laughs) Apparently I've conveyed the wrong message. But measuring what matters, let's talk about the math. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, am I subtracting? Let's be a realistic assessment of ourselves. Am I subtracting from the cause of Christ or the kingdom of God? And by that, what I mean is, am I consistently, persistently, doggedly taking more than I'm investing? Now, let me say, for a season, of course, we all go through seasons where our need is significant. And that's okay. That's a natural part of the process. But if we are consistently, indefinitely, taking more than we're contributing to the cause of Christ, that's probably not a good thing. So just putting it out there. Next is, am I dividing? Now again, immediately when I say that, am I dividing the cause of Christ or the kingdom of God? We might think about sowing division. That's a different topic for a different time. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. When I say, am I dividing the cause of Christ or the kingdom of God? What I'm speaking of here is, am I distracting from the mission by placing my wants ahead of the mission? Okay? Am I placing my wants, my needs, my desires, my preferences ahead of the mission? Very, very, very subtly. Remember that the whole 12 disciples can do more than 1,200 consumers? Very subtly, it's very easy for our engagement in spiritual pursuits to become consumer-driven. And so we just have to ask ourselves, We can divide the cause of Christ when we make that subtle, sometimes almost imperceptible shift to saying, please me, to saying, serve me. Now, the local body of Christ 
church, small group Bible study, in-home study, group of friends who are growing together in faith, there is an element at which receiving service is a natural part of that. But we also have to balance that with serving others. And we divide the cause when we begin to focus more on serving, being served than on serving. And then feed me again. Now, think about it. If you have a baby, what does the baby say? Feed me, feed me. Sometimes very loudly. Feed me, feed me. And there's a very careful, God-ordained procedure for feeding that baby. And, And gradually as they grow, there comes a point in time at which we expect them. Now, I will, having said this, I'm just, I'm going where I shouldn't go. I will admit, Diana still cuts up my meat for me, all right? But I do put it in my mouth with a fork myself, all right? But, but there comes a point in time at which, you didn't need to know that, but she was going to say it if I didn't. I just thought I'd get out ahead of it. But seriously, as a disciple, whatever ministry we're involved in, we should receive nutrition from that. But as we progress, there comes a point in time at which we need to take responsibility to feed ourselves. And, and, and again, I try not to go on preacher rants too often. And I, I'm not going to rant. I just want to throw it out there. One of the things that has always puzzled me is when people leave a church because they're not being fed. Okay? Now, I'm not saying all churches, including this one, have great teaching ministries. That's not what I'm saying. But as I interpret Scripture, I mean, to me, that's like me complaining that I'm not being fed, but I've got a pantry full of food at home. I just don't want to cook for myself. You feel me? As a disciple, I divide from the mission when I don't take responsibility to make sure I'm contributing to my own spiritual nourishment. Am I adding? This is where we've been camping out for the last several weeks. Am I adding to the cause of Christ in the kingdom of God by being a disciple? Am I helping with the process because I'm moving forward as a disciple? I'm moving in the direction of Christ, and I'm helping to create momentum that is positive and increases the likelihood others will do the same. And then, as I said last week, am I contributing, adding to the kingdom by helping to make disciples? Be a disciple make disciples and again what did jesus say he said therefore go and make disciples he didn't say therefore the pastors should all go forward and make disciples yes we should and yes i should do better but he said therefore go and make disciples to all of us which brings me to the last am i multiplying am i contributing ask yourself today and in the days to come. Am I contributing to the multiplication of the cause of Christ in the kingdom of God? 
continually moving closer to Christ, inspiring others to do the same, who will in turn inspire others to do the same. Are my disciples making disciples? Last week I asked you the question, are you making disciples? Now I encourage you to dig down and think, are people whose lives I'm speaking into in turn speaking into the lives of others, who will then in turn speak into the lives of others. And I'm saying that here, there, and everywhere. The people whose lives we influence may always be a part of our lives, but there's a real good chance they may move on to other areas, other seasons. Ideally, they will be dis- will be contributing to disciples who make disciples here. Will be contributing to disciples who make disciples there. Will be dis- contributing to disciples who make disciples everywhere. And and this challenges me. I made reference to some of the challenges preachers wrestle with. Uh, but we heard a speaker a while back who talked about our tendency to view the local Christian church as a lake, and our goal is to get our lake as big as we can get our lake. Because we like big lakes, all right? Sometimes we may fudge a little bit and we'll view our our church, our local church, as a reservoir and we'll intentionally open the floodgates a little bit and let a little bit trickle out. Jason and Val, Val Max and Jason Stark, Jason and Val Stark, we'll open the floodgates and let you go off to seminary so you can go make disciples somewhere else. But then we're going to close it really quick. Now, Now, trust me here. Some of you know that almost without exception, when people leave our church, when disciples leave our church, it hurts me because my lake's getting smaller. And my goal has been to have a really big lake. But if we're talking about are my disciples making disciples here, there, and everywhere, then sometimes maybe we'd be better off if we thought of it as a river where the disciples we make are making disciples here, they're making disciples there, they're making disciples everywhere, and we celebrate that. Now, trust me, that's what I have to work at. But when I force myself to step back and think, and trust me, as I've been doing this series and before I did this series, I've been doing a lot of soul searching, and I won't bore you with that. But asking myself these questions and looking, okay, where are the disciples that I've helped to contribute to? And are they making disciples? And, and, and are they making disciples? And sometimes I have the privilege of hearing about people who were a part of our discipleship journey, and, and they go somewhere else, and I hear they're making disciples there. And then I hear about their disciples making disciples. And, and that's the challenge that we need to embrace if we're thinking about multiplication. And that's what I want us to wrestle with. Just a couple mathematical examples. And, and I just want to say, I'm, here's, I don't usually make excuses before I say something, all right? But I'm just asking you, just humor me with what I'm going to say. I know it's a stretch. I know it's not necessarily doctrinally sound. I know my math may not be perfect, but just grant me creative liberty to provide an illustration. So with this whole idea of am I making disciples and are my disciples making disciples, 
let's just think back to Jesus, all right? Jesus spent three years pouring into 12 disciples. And even with Jesus, one of them didn't make it. And over the next years, 10 of the 11 who remained were martyred. So the movement that Jesus started by pouring into the lives of 12 disciples ends up with one disciple and potentially dies with him. Most scholars say John on the island of Patmos. Okay, that's one thought. If we were to look at that from an addition standpoint, imagine that the original disciples were not martyred. And over a period of time, after Jesus disciples them for three years, each of the remaining 11 disciples disciple three more people for three years. At the end of six years, you've got 44. If the original 11 repeat the process, in nine years, you got 77. 12 years, 110. In 15 years, 143. That's addition. Okay? What if we looked at multiplication? And again, I know it's a stretch. But year three, the initial 11. Year six, the 11 each disciple three. That's 44. Year nine, each of the 44 disciple three. It's 132. Year 12, each of the 132 disciple three. That's 396. Year 15, you're at 1188. Am I a disciple? Am I making disciples? And am I helping and encouraging those whom I disciple to make disciples? One more mathematical example. And this is talking churches. And again, it's hypothetical. And it's never this simple. But just listen to these. Consider the difference. Church A has developed a ministry strategy around evangelism. Anybody here think evangelism is a bad idea? I'm just checking. All right. It's a great idea if somebody else is doing it. Can we just be honest, right? All right. But okay. Church A has developed a ministry around a strategy, a ministry strategy around evangelism. It is a strategy of addition. They deeply desire to see people come to Christ, and their plan is to grow increasingly larger through the primary draw of weekend worship services and creative programming. They are doing a fantastic job. They planted the church 10 years ago, and each year they have grown grown by almost 100 people. In 10 years, this high growth rate has resulted in many new believers and a church of almost 1,000 in weekend attendance. Church A has quickly become a church of influence with an amazing cast of leaders. But their focus has never been on disciple-making. They now seem to be hitting a lid. New growth requires even higher capacity leaders, higher quality services, better programming, and more streamlined systems to manage the crowds. While lay leaders have been equipped to bring friends and even share their faith, they aren't equipped to make disciples, and the growth of the church has slowed. All right, now, again, raised the way I was in church, you got a church of a 1,000, Woohoo! all right? Church B. Church B has developed a ministry strategy around disciple-making. It is a strategy of multiplication. Their plan is to grow through a firm commitment to making disciples and developing leaders. 
in the first year, the founding pastor does nothing more than invest in disciple-making activities with a few trusted friends, modeling the process of discipleship. He or she decides to put in place a practical system whereby each person is asked to make three disciples every year and then encourages those disciples to do the same. Now, they're on the fast track because it took Jesus three years, but they're doing it in a year because they've got things figured out. I'm not being critical, all right? This slow-moving discipleship ministry creeps forward with only the pastor and three others being impacted in the first year. Can I just tell you? When we came to Albion, if I went back to our parent church in Battle Creek after a year and said, good news, we've got three people. Yeah. All right. But we might have only had three people. I'm just saying. Compared to Church A's growth, Church B could easily seem seem discouraging. In fact, by the third year, Church B had only multiplied to 27 people. And the pastor realizes he will probably need to be bivocational. But the commitment to discipleship is strong, and the church presses forward. By year five, the church has multiplied to approximately 240 disciples making disciples, and the excitement is beginning to grow. Weekend services are finally being launched, but the primary driver and focus of the church's time, energy, and resources is discipleship. How large will this church be in 10 years if they continue to multiply exponentially? 60,000 people. Am I a disciple? Am I making disciples? Are my disciples making disciples? The Apostle Paul. Got to love his story. I shared this last week. Chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Just puts it out there. He said, you know what? I'm a disciple. I'm still figuring it out, but you follow me and we'll follow Jesus together. Uh, chapter 4 verse 16, he says, I urge you to imitate me. Let's do this. I'm going to be a disciple. You can imitate me. We'll be disciples together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Again, follow me. We'll follow him together. We'll invite others to follow along. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm a disciple, follow me, we will be disciples together, and we will move forward. I want to talk briefly about Paul and. Now again, Paul didn't start out as a disciple. He actually started out as someone seeking to stamp out the movement of Jesus. Great story for another time. Before Paul had his dramatic confer- conversion, in Acts chapter 4, we come across a man named Joseph, and he had a nickname, well, Barnabas, and he was literally called the son of encouragement. All right? So Barnabas is going about doing his disciple thing, and Barnabas is making disciples. And over the course of time, Barnabas and Paul end up together. And we pick up in Acts chapter 13, and I'm not going to go there, read it for yourself at some point in time, but in Acts chapter 13... This group of believers picked a couple of disciples, Barnabas and Saul, and they said, we're going to send you out 
to make disciples. Start churches, create groups of disciples growing together. So they, they pray over them, they fast and they pray, and they send out Barnabas and Paul to make disciples. And over the course of time, they become effective and they're making disciples everywhere they grow, go. And along the way, they're picking up disciples who are following with them. And as they're going about, one of the disciples they pick up is a young man named John Mark. And John Mark goes with them for a while, and then we don't fully know what happened, but at some point, John Mark gets discouraged, gets tired. We don't know what it was, but John Mark says, this has been real, and it's been fun, but right now it's not real fun, so I'm going home. And so he went home. Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, Barnabas and Paul continue to do their thing. They get back, they give a report, and they decide, that was awesome, let's do it again. So they're getting ready to go. By this time, it's switched from Barnabas and Paul to now it's usually Paul and Barnabas. Somehow Paul's personality, whatever it is, he's kind of out front. And they're getting ready to go, and Barnabas, what's his name? Son of encouragement. He says, let's take that young kid with us again because I think he's got potential. Paul says, no. He lost his chance. He didn't have what it takes. I don't have time for him. He didn't say that. That was me. But Paul was adamant. It was to the point that Paul and Barnabas said, Barnabas basically said, you know what? I'm taking Barnabas whether you, I'm taking John Mark whether you do or not. So Paul took Silas, another disciple that he's developing, and Barnabas took John Mark. And they both went out to make disciples. Now, great story. John Mark eventually, by the end of Paul's life, he's saying, I'm really miserable. Please send John Mark to me. All right. What Barnabas did made a difference and restored that disciple. But Paul and Silas are out doing their thing. And as they go along, they come across another young man. Paul's willing to give him a shot in spite of his frustration with John Mark. And they pick up this kid named Timothy. And Timothy begins to follow with them. So making disciples who then make disciples. Timothy kind of becomes Paul's son in the faith. And as Paul is approaching the end of his ministry, he writes a couple letters to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to say, I'm extrapolating here, but I get a sense that Timothy's personality was extremely different than Paul's personality. I, I mean, I get the sense that Paul is just kind of a type A up-in-your-face guy. Timothy, not so much. But Paul understood they both had a place. He's writing, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things, listen carefully, and the things you have seen in me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul taught Timothy, Timothy, you teach these people who in, in turn teach these people. Am I a disciple? Am I making disciples? Are those whom I help to disciple discipling others? Friends, Paul made converts just bonkers. He started churches. But most importantly to the mission, Paul made disciples who then made disciples who then made disciples. Measuring what matters.
And, and again, just a very, very simple illustration. I won't take a lot of time on this. Some of you know we started not meeting here, all right? We started meeting, it's not even there anymore, at the Albion Holiday Inn. Would you stand if you ever worshipped with us at the Albion Holiday Inn? Oh, well, that's awkward. Um, if somehow people hadn't come along, maybe this wouldn't be here. We had the opportunity, and please understand, this is not about us. I, I could talk for hours about everything we did wrong, all right? I made a comment to somebody yesterday as I'm thinking about all this discipleship stuff, or not yesterday, this week. I, I had a conference call, and I said, you know, thinking about discipleship, it really stinks to be 40 years into your career and realize you've been doing it wrong. <laughs> okay? It just really, it's not a fun place to be. Um, we then moved to renting from the Albion United Methodist Church in their fellowship lounge. Like, I know we got a few more. Would you stand if you worshiped with us there? All right. So, all right, you guys can sit down because I know we're all kind of, if you were there, you're standing up hard for us anymore. But anyway, <laughs> just saying. Um, but to realize everybody who wasn't standing, it's since we've been here. Friends, disciples making disciples who make disciples is essential to the cause of Christ. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, or to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth. And, and can I just back up and say that doubt thing? I know I mentioned it repeatedly. But remember what I said kind of there in one of my ramblings? That of those eleven who were there, who some of whom doubted, ten of them died a martyr's death. So I'm thinking at some point they got past the doubt. Don't beat yourself up. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This passage is often called the Great Commission. But friends, its greatness is in direct proportion to how individual Christ followers embrace it and apply it. It's not great if we don't do it. I just will wrap this up, as I've said repeatedly during this series, I'm just asking you to ask yourself questions. This is not a how-to. This is a why-to. Do I invest in maintaining a realistic assessment of my spiritual progress? Is there real, sustained, ongoing life change in my life? Am I a disciple? Am I an intentional learner, follower, partner in the mission? Am I helping to make disciples? Like I said last week... 
if nothing else, just think, what am I doing to move closer to Christ and ask somebody to do it with you? That simple. We can make it more complicated because I'm good at that. That's our job as preachers. But just start where you are and have someone go with you. And then are those I disciple, I disciple helping to disciple others? Just imagine the potential we have. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you, Father, when we stop to think about it, we should all be humbled that you entrusted something as important as making disciples who make disciples who make disciples to us. But as you said in the Great Commission, you are with us and you give us your authority. You provide us a textbook through the Word of God. And you provide us your indwelling Holy Spirit to equip, empower, and enable us if we choose to cooperate with the process. So, Father, I pray that you would stir in every heart here. I know some people have shared that they're really struggling with some of what I've had to say, and I get it. But, Father, what a high calling that you invite us to be your disciples, to learn from you, to follow you, to walk with you, to serve with you. What a great privilege that you call us to join you on your mission. And we simply ask today, Father, that you will stir in our hearts as you see fit. And then after we hear what you have to say, we'll decide what you would have us do with what you've said. We thank you, Father. Amen.